Hi, everybody, and it's time for another episode of Sail Faster, the podcast for those who obsess about sailing faster. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe and have a listen to some of our previous episodes that feature many of the East Coast's top sailors. There's a ton of learning there on things like race preparation, crew management, tactics, strategy around the race course that I know will help you and certainly me sail faster. I don't know about you, but as winter slowly turns to spring here in Washington, D.C., and hopefully my cold (laughs) goes away, I'm getting more and more excited about the new sailing season coming up. Our J105, which we call London Calling, is about to be hauled out so we can start getting it ready for April. We have a, a new main from Quantum Sails, as well as a nearly new Quantum Spinnaker and Quantum Jib from last year, so I'm really excited about, about all that. Um, we're going to take a look at the bottom that uh, Mike Beasley expertly prepared for us last year. Hopefully it's not too mashed about after a season on the water. And um, also we've got some top coaching lined up from Jason Curry and Scott Steele. And with that, we should be ready to go. I think the first race for us is going to be the Annapolis Yacht Club One Design Regatta at the end of April. I'm pretty sure it's that. Um, Can't wait. Um, right, I'm thrilled to say that today's SailFaster guest is Kristen Robinson. Christy is well known on the East Coast. She's part of a husband and wife duo who are not only devastatingly successful racers, but also terrific fun. Christy is a highly experienced and successful sailor, but you know, she's also a leader of multiple sailing organizations, including board and president roles for J70 class, J80, J29 classes, and yacht clubs. And on the water, you know, she's always on or around the podium places, whether that's at Block Island Race Week, especially last year, um, on J29s and 105s and 109s, or at the North American Championships on her J80 or J109, or locally on uh, the many Chesapeake uh, uh, regattas that go on. She's a, a really interesting guest, given her experience racing so many boats, whether that's a uh, lasers j24s j29 j80 is j88 i think she's probably done every j boat there is (laughs) j70s and j22s what am i missing um but also vanguards etchels um vipers several 33s and the far 280 um i'm exhausted just reading that list but more than that christy's a wonderfully warm and funny human being who makes everybody feel welcome and included or whatever post-race sailing event is happening and that she's probably organized and uh, also she tells me she's a doctoral candidate at marymount university studying business administration but i don't believe she's actually got time to do any of that so anyway here's how our fascinating conversation went hey chrissy thank you so much for joining sail faster Thank you. This is my first podcast. Oh, it is, is it? <laughs> okay. Um, look, there, there's um, there's so much to talk about because uh, you have a, a a really long sailing history that stretches across seemingly like hundreds of boats. You were telling me a few minutes ago about your fleet of boats, so I'm really interested in that. So we've got a ton to talk about um, uh, today, but I want to start with how, it's, how does sailing start for you? Uh, my dad loved sailing. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Um, my mother was always nauseous and never wanted anything to do with it. And my dad then got so into it, started making a little bit of money that he was able to afford a really hot racing boat in Long Island Sound. 
and everyone wanted to race on it and everyone wanted to be on it. And it was really cool. And then I became a teenager and I decided I hated him. So I was going to do anything but the sport that he loved. <laughs> um, so I played tennis through high school and college. And then I started dating my husband, who is a hardcore sailor. And ever since then, I've been back into it. Did you know him from before? From Our dads oh. raced sailboats against each other and with each wow. other. And Brian was my dad's four-deck person for a long time when he got that hot, fun racing sailboat. This is a marriage made in heaven, surely. Oh, it's ridiculous. Like, the, at our wedding, we were all making plans for the big regattas that we were going to do. So you've been racing seriously from a really early, apart from the college. Uh, oh, yeah. You, uh... It was just a break in college. It was like I said, I was, I was a very, very typical hormonal girl teenager. And you've, you've had, and you have, a series of boats, right? Yeah, and so when I turned 16, instead of getting a sweet 16, I got a laser. <laughs> so I was racing that a lot. I would take that to camp with me. It had a trailer. We got so much independence from that thing. We used to take it out and, you know, sneak onto other people's boats and sneak beers on the boats. It was like, that's what we did growing up. Um, and then when I started dating my husband, he had a J24. So we cam- campaigned that for a few years. We then got married for some reason, then thought that we needed to have a cruising boat. So for a very short time, we had a Ranger 33, which was super cool because we completely restored it. It was going to be junkyard. So I learned a lot about restoring sailboats and building sailboats. We had that for one summer after we restored it. And I was like, this, why do we have this? This is dumb. And he's like, great. I want to get a J29. And I was like, that sounds great. Um, So again, we didn't have any money. So we went and got one out of a it was like in the weeds with a trailer in the Twin Cities. Oh, it was, that story was a disaster bringing it home. But. This is a J29, right? They're, a J29, they're beautiful yeah. boats, aren't they? Oh, oh, we loved that boat. Oh, loved it, loved it, loved it. And um, completely restored it. When we were on our way home, it, we had a huge pothole from, you know, bringing it from the Twin Cities. And we smashed the keel up into the boat. And I remember like every morning oh. we'd get up before work. On our way to work, we'd stop at the boat, lay some fiberglass on where it was, you know, we needed the repair, go to work, come home, it had cured, we would sand it, wake up the next morning. So we were that into it. So we had that boat for a while, and then we crashed it in Florida on a, on our way to Key West Race Week, and wow. it was just totaled. It was never going to be the same. So in Key West Race Week, um, one of my mentors, Carrie Klinger, was down there, and I was trying to decide if I should get a Melgis 24 or a J80. And he told me to get a J80 because Melvis 24s were disposable boats. So we got the insurance money and we basically bought the boat at Key West West Race Week. We had that boat a long time. We got really successful in it and the bar just got too high. Like somebody's like, are you going to win the world? I'm like, no, I work. (laughs) I I didn't think um, uh, there were many J80s in the States. I, I shared a J80 in San Francisco Bay for a couple of years with a friend of mine, and we did the uh, racing there. We had no clue what we were doing. Um, but it was really hard to to find one. In fact, there was one other a J80 in San Francisco Bay, and the only time it came out for a race, it T-boned us and <laughs> broke <laughs> broke the bow split. And, uh, yeah, that was quite famous. But they, they were the, the problem was it was really hard to find anyone design fleets to race in on the West Coast anyway. We had a huge one here on the East Coast. And there are people who will give me credit for it because I was president of the class and I was really 
a go-getter at the time. Yeah. I got a lot of regattas and we got them pretty big. We would go, I mean, yeah, you could bank at us everywhere. We'd be in Newport. We'd go to San Francisco. We always had a fleet at Key West Race Week. I mean, not San Francisco, St. Petersburg. We had a fleet in St. Pete. We had a fleet in Lake Winnipesaukee, New Hampshire, New Jersey. We would travel all up and down the East Coast. I, I love it. That's a great boat. I found that, um, you know, San Francisco Bay, crazy afternoon winds, 25 knots with the spinnaker. It would be careening. Back and yeah. Forth. But the, it's had such a big, deep rudder. I yeah. always felt you could just steer it out of trouble if you were yeah. coming close to a breach. I never lost, uh, I don't think we ever lost control, actually. So and half the weight was the keel. So it was the yeah. uh, ultimate weeble wobble, but we don't fall down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that was that the favorite boat you've had, or uh, I know you've had many. The top, I really liked the J twenty nine too. Mm. Uh, the J eighty was probably my favorite to date. Then we got a J seventy oh, because yeah. I drove that boat and I really learned about it. And we had a great crew. That's when we really started sailing with Scott a lot. But my husband hated the boat, hated it from the moment he stepped on the, the J seventy. We're talking yeah, about. He yeah. only got it for me. Hmm. Um. So when I decided to sell that boat, he was over the moon. We then got an Etchells and had a lot of fun with it for a while. Again, we restored it because we bought it from St. Mary's. Um, but the fleet just fell apart completely not long after getting it. And then the pandemic hit. And I was like, we're about to get locked in our houses. I should buy a boat. And he's like, okay. And I was like, you're supposed to say no. <laughs> we had, um, so I went and I was like, all right, I'm going to go buy a J105 out of New York. Because I was like, I'm going to buy another J80. J80s were like 40 grand at the time. And he, I was like, why am I going to spend 40 grand for another boat that lives on a trailer? I want a, you know, a boat now where I could turn a key and be like, boom, 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 boom. And the boat just goes. <laughs> And it's already in the water. So I was like, I'm going to get a 105. They're not as expensive as they used to be. You know, they're, they came down a lot in price. And Brian's like, okay. I'm like, you were supposed to say no. <laughs> okay. So that's how the fleet started. So now we had a 105, an Etchells, and a powerboat. Did you have to do a lot of work on the 105? Uh, this is Velvet Handle, right? 105 was, I mean, in theory, our 105 we thought was turnkey, but we've done a lot of work to it. Yeah, yeah. I don't think there's such a thing as a turnkey boat. I, I mean, Patriot was whoever buys New Healy or Baby Shark will be, but I don't. We like turning them into our own. Yeah, yeah. Well, also the the boats are up to twenty odd years old, aren't they? Twenty five years right. old. So in, right. in that time, they've been ridden hard and put away wet and all that all that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, in some cases, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, so great. Then we donated the Etchells. And my husband was having a lot of fun with the 105, but his favorite thing to do here in Annapolis is Wednesday night racing. And so then I went, um, his aunt died and the funeral was being held on my birthday. Mm. So I got annoyed. So I went and bought a J22 on our way home from the funeral. As you do. There was a J22 for sale in Gulfport, Mississippi. The funeral was in Chicago and we went from <laughs> Chicago to Gulfport. It was on the way. I know. And I just bought a J22 and we brought it home. So of all the boats you've owned, what's your favorite? So I don't truly have a favorite. I have a favorite aspect of each of them. I hmm. loved the J29 because it was the first time we truly got into serious one design sailing and traveling. Um, the J24 introduced us to One Design. I loved the J80 because it was the first time we sailed at a super duper high level and we sailed all over the country. I love the 105 right now because I love the fact that it's just sitting in the water that 
We can take friends out on it. Our our parents are getting older, and I love the fact that um, my dad, my eighty year old dad, can go on the boat. Mm. And then I anticipate falling in love with the J twenty two after the world when I get to drive it again. And I loved the J seventy because I loved driving sailing against like Terry Hutchinson would be on the line above me or something, you know, Brad Butterworth. Yeah. I, I mean, like these names that it's Bill Hardesty, like all these really cool names. Like, how have you improved performance across each of those or all of those boats? What's what's your sort of plan and process when you get a new boat? We kind of do the same thing every time we get a new boat. The first thing we do is the first season, we just sail it. We only replace things that have to be replaced that are like broken. So like, for example, the 105, it desperately needed new winches. The winches like weren't working and it needed halyards. Um, we didn't really buy a lot of sales that year. We didn't do much. And we learned the boat. Um, for the J80, we, I don't even know if we bought sales the first year. Um, but, you know, like I said, we learned the boat. We learned the fleet. We learned where to put the money instead of just dropping money into the boat. With the J105, which is the most recent, we sailed it for like three, four years, took it to San Francisco and realized we were racing a dinosaur. The boat was old and it needed to not be old anymore to be fast. And so we invested smartly after having, like I said, owning the boat X amount of years and knowing, and we invest in it. And that's when we started getting fast because you can't win with a slow boat. And what, what were the main improvements that you saw? What, what did you do that you change it from being a dinosaur to a, uh, yeah. a, a modern mammal. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the right analogy. Oh, yeah. Well, the first, the most important thing is because we have never had to pay attention to the bottoms of our boats because we haven't had a boat that lives in the water oh, yeah. in 20 years. Yeah. So we were able, I know the importance of a fared boat. I know the importance of a slick bottom. And like we have fared our boats from the tow rails to the keel every boat we've ever owned. You know, wavy boats don't move in through the water, mm. as Beasley, I'm sure, told you. Um, knew that the bottom on that boat wasn't race ready, but we didn't know how to invest in it because we hadn't done it in so long. Mm. So we waited, we looked around, we got a trailer, we saw other boats, we did our homework, and then we wound up going to Beasley, and I'm thrilled. And then when we went to California, we realized that everybody had replaced their roller furlings and they were super low profile. Um, we also realized that we could be much more efficient in a new backstay because we had the old backstay where it was pump return, pump return. And because you're in such an awkward spot as it is in the back of the boat, we um, went to Oakley from um, Harkin and talked to him and did our homework and got one that goes pump, 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 and is three pounds lighter. We crawled through the boat and got rid of everything on it because it was like there were they would rewire the boat and leave the wires so my husband went to town getting things off the boat. And then finally, the last thing that we invested in that was we should have had in the beginning, but we just didn't realize they weren't good. Uh, we swapped to Doyle sales, and they're just so much better. Let's go back to the, the roller fill. That's interesting. So it's a, a Harkin Mark Four or Mark Three, isn't it? Yeah. So... It's just so much lower to the deck, which is so much more efficient and faster. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I think I, I think I've got the new one too. Yeah. Actually, not, not as made Ours much difference, but high even for an old one. My husband said he felt the difference the minute we put it on before we even did the bottom. It's smaller diameter as well. It feels seems like it's, yeah. it's just a smaller piece. But so was it the was it closer to the 
the the deck or was it that the actual foil was thinner and it was closer to the deck and it was newer so it worked better like uh you know you're faster in the corners if you can yeah. roll your jib up as the kite's going up you're going to be faster you're going to go downwind faster you're going to be able to you know dive the boat down faster because you're going to be up to speed faster so lots of work on the boat then and i love that idea of you 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 sort of get in tune with it for a few seasons or a few races yeah. to understand what the what the what the biggest differences you think you can make to, uh, to it in terms of investing in it because they are investment. What else? Yeah. What is it? What else do you learn about getting more speed out of a, a new boat? Question. I mean, sails are the gas pedal. Yeah. You just need they they need to be trimmed right. You need to go out. You need to practice. You need to learn the sails. It took us a long time to learn the sails on the one hundred and five because it's just so underpowered. Hmm. Luckily, the uh, like I stopped driving the one hundred and five because I. I said to my husband, I'm tired of pushing a bathtub through Jello." <laughs> so I quit driving it and I'm now doing anything on the boat. Depends on what, you know. Um, yeah, it's, that was, this one's been tough to figure out because it is so underpowered. Hmm. The design plan and everything. Um, but yeah, the sails were one of the biggest thing and then making the boat lighter. And then because it's such a bathtub, having a slick bottom has been really crucial for tax. We find we accelerate out of tax so much better than we used to. It, um, I think it was right. We'll call it a dump truck with four flat tires yeah. and you're trying, <laughs> trying to accelerate. Um, yeah, so the boat's terrible. The fleets are all portable, which is really nice because you don't need to be wealthy and rich to be able to make this boat go fast. And the sails are, you know, a Dacron mainsail. So yeah. it's to keep the cost down, down for sure. I also found the, uh, I learned this year how crucial the jib is at the start. If your jib isn't doing exact, like I started working with Reed McLaughlin. We're very lucky. He started sailing with us this year and he used to be a professional sailor and he happens to be one of Brian's good friends and Brian and him sailed Etchell's forever. And he has brought so much knowledge to the boat, especially on starts and taught. I was, I have been trimming the jib and how crucial the jib is to that boat. Mm. Like if basically if it's not perfect, it is a break. Like it's if you are ahead of your skipper in the in the mark roundings and getting the jib in, that boat's just going sideways. And if I have him boned at the start, again, the, I'm just pushing his bow down. He's I'm doing nothing to push him forward. That boat yeah. is so sensitive to the jib because it's so heavy. I we took the next step because I found we started getting the straight line speed. And I wanted to keep the speed through the tacks and at the corners. Mm. So once we got the boat fast, then the next step is how do you make the maneuvers fast? How do you make your tack amazing? You know, when do you backwind? When do you just blow it? When do you bring it in slowly so that Brian can foot for a while to get speed up and then, you know, bring it all the way in? What is all the way in, in the different speeds, you know? Yeah. How much can you ring out of it in different wind directions? And the jib too is like crucial if you got to shoot the mark because you got to get it just so that he's keeping forward momentum, but it's not pushing the bow one way or the other. So you have to have it just loose enough that Brian can maintain his speed and shoot the mark, which these boats can do because they got so much momentum. But I we weren't good at that before. I've been trimming the jib, so it's been fun for me. Yeah, yeah. What's what's been your biggest learning in 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 doing that? In trimming the jib. This yeah. year was, um, like I said, in how much I can aid in the maneuvers and by not doing yeah. it right, 
how much I can be a break in the maneuver. Like there was one start at uh, Rye, New York, where I had it trimmed all the way in because honestly, I was running out of steam and it was blowing really hard. And so I was like, I'm just going to get this jib in so that, you know, at the start, we can just go. And I got the jib in and Brian hadn't been up to speed and the whole fleet just sailed right by us. And I was like, I did that, didn't I? And Reed's like, yep, you boned the jib when we had no speed yet. And so Brian had no way to come down with any speed. I, we were going to have a perfect start, but I got tired and decided I was going to get the jib in fast without realizing that we weren't up to speed yet. Yeah, uh, we did exactly the same thing. And actually, in a light wind race, you, you, you've talked about uh, mark roundings. What's your favorite leg of the course? I like the corners. Yeah, I thought you were going to say that. I think there's so much to be gained for mark roundings and boat handling. And I feel like my husband and I have an advantage because he drives. And because I'm not a tactician, I keep my head in the boat. So we should have flawless mark roundings. Um, I make sure the equipment is up to snuff. Um, so, you know, making sure your halyards aren't frayed so you don't have extra friction. Uh, your shackles are taped. Uh, everything's working. And then I'm just aware of in the boat, like, is the winch wound up for the tack? Is, I even made a list. Let's see what that is. I'm going to look at my list because I don't forget. Oh, yeah. So um, are your spin sheets in the water? You know, if you just spent thousands of dollars on a new bottom and you're dragging a sheet in the water, you've just canceled that out. Um, you know, is the halyard ready for a douse? Is the halyard in the right spot? When you're going downwind, has you've taken the halyard? I mean, how many times this happens to people? Have you taken the halyard out of the clean on the mass? You know, have you cleaned it up? Is the sheet ready for, are the sheets ready for a tack or a jive? Just looking at everything in the boat to make sure nothing's not where it's supposed to be. So, okay, so it's getting the boat prepped yeah. way before you get to the, uh, and that presumably allows your tactician or helm to be thinking about positioning what's going to be our final maneuver into this uh, into this mark and the rounding itself. And then we're very specific on the jobs, minimizing movements so that you're doing the job where you are and trying to have the tactician do nothing. We try not to have the tactician involved in the douse very much at all. Hmm. Um, so that if he has to call for an immediate jive, we can do it. So that they're and keeping their head out of the boat totally yeah. and seeing what's going on. Yeah, we really only use the tactician when necessary. So usually we, there's very few people I think who can be a good tactician and trim. Reed can do it. My buddy, Ben, who's a great tactician, he can't do anything unless, other than call tactics. <laughs> and he's great. He's amazing. I'd have him as a tactician all day long. I think it's just there, you have to know, you have to know your crew and you have to know their, what the jobs they can do. And that's the other thing, like putting people at the corners, like, I have been on boats where they're like, all right, you're going to hump the halyard. And I'm like, why? I'm the smallest one on this boat. Are you cray cray? And I just got two shoulders. And this is before I had my shoulder surgeries. And I have two bum shoulders. What's wrong with you? <laughs> you know, we went on a boat not too long ago. And they're like, all right, she's going to trim the kite. And Brian's like, this was the Viper. It's like, she's a hundred pounds. Like that doesn't sound like it's going to make a lot of sense. So I think that's the other thing. Like put people in their strengths at the corners and things that they're ready to do and they want to do. 
You're starting to eliminate distractions and potential failures and that sort of thing. Presumably around you, that's happening on other boats because that just always at every mark grounding, spinnakers get twisted, things don't work, shouting and screaming, that sort of thing. Are you able to keep your boat quite calm and sort of a quiet pillar and uh, all that sort of thing as you go around? And things will go wrong, but the thing is we feel like we're prepared for it. Yeah. Like I hear as the kite's going up, there's a wrap. I know I immediately have to go to the halyard and get that halyard off the mast. So if we have to dump it, it's in the camp cleat. Hmm. You know, yeah. so just listen and know what's going on. Um, for the, we actually have the bow person roll up our jib because it's so much less friction to grab the line right from there. And then yeah, they take the line with them and they run it right back to the shrouds. So now they're at the right spot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but let's go back to the, this is your, but it's your favorite part of the course. So, Tell me what's your favorite. I, I get the fact that you're um, making it as, a, as efficient and as um, safe, sort of from a boat handling point of view, as you can. But why is that? Why is, does that make it your favorite? So I think there's so much to be gained as well, because so many people don't realize you actually still have to sail from the windward mark to the offset. Like I see people who just blow their jib or don't trim it. It's, that's still like five boat lengths. I can get inside of you or I can get above you. And if I get above you and I get a better cut set, I'm just going to roll right over you. And then the whole fleet's probably going to roll right over you. Yeah. Or I can get my nose inside of you and it's a new mark. I've just gotten in front of you there too. Yeah. There's a lot more to be gained than people think. People seem to think it's a parade from the offset, from the windward mark to the offset. And then the same thing at the gate, there's so much to be gained it's like a whole chess match right there at the leeward gate. First of all, which gate do you go to? It's, everybody always picks the ones that's more upwind, right? That's not the right gate to go to all the time. If you got 15 people at the one that's more upwind, you go to the other one and you're going to gain 14 boats. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. or if this side of the course has more wind and it's that much more favored, it might be worth the extra half a boat length. Something I'm, I'm intrigued about when, when you're approaching the leeward mark, the bottom mark, and you're getting ready to turn up wind. Um, the jib comes out. And for me, I'm always asking the crew, get it out and trim it. Trim it hard for going up wind, because otherwise you're coming around the mark and you, you realize there's 20 seconds of grinding that's going to happen. So we double team it. The spin trimmer has now, in theory, dropped the kite, and he's got nothing left to trim. So before he hits the rail, we uh, he will tail it for me. Because if I get it in too tight, as Brian's going around, instead of uh, accelerating and going upwind, his bow's just going to be pushed down. I have to be behind him on the turn to maximize the speed and come out of the turn amazing, which means I have to work my little butt off. So we double team it. We have somebody tailing, and I have a, a you know somebody stronger than me, and then I just grind the heck out of it. And I we, we get it in. I don't have a problem. But I'm always, and I'm, I'll yell the whole time, I'm just behind, I'm just behind, I'm just behind, I'm just behind, so that they yeah. know I'm doing it. Yeah. <laughs> and you can see, as Brian's coming up, you can see that it filling and filling and filling and filling until finally he's going upwind. And we, we get up inside boats all the time with that. Uh, is there a leg that you don't like? Um, personally, when I'm driving, I get so nervous in the starts. I once started crying at the start. It was so scary <laughs> in the J70. <laughs> My buddy yeah. Ben looks back and he's like, are you crying? I'm like, just leave me alone. It's going to be fine. I'm still sailing. My first um, fleet start on a Wednesday night in Jay, the in Annapolis, first time I'd ever done it, the 
um, AYC TV had this great shot of everybody approaching the line. <laughs> you see us. I bailed out because I was intimidated. We're all the way around the back of the fleet. So we're going 180 degrees for everybody else, and it's on film. It's on film. It was pretty bad, uh, but we that was yeah it was, that was start number one. It's uh, it did get <laughs> a lot better after that. Uh, so many of the people I talked to have a playbook of starting strategies. No matter the fleet, no matter the the type of boat they're in, uh, that they go to again and again. Do, do you have do you have like this is what we always do? We're always X or Y. We definitely don't have something that we always do. Um, Brian has been driving longer than I have, but both of our favorites is the uh, coming at the fleet on Port Tack as the on the final approach, like with like a minute or under a minute, and then finding the hole, tacking into it, and taking off with everybody. That's that's one of Brian's favorites. And, and can you, favorite. do you, I can see doing that in a J80 um, and, a, and a Viper, but a J105 is quite heavy. And quite slow yeah, because you've you've got your you're very confident about your tax, tax. right? It sounds Absolutely. like and I'll even can... say it all like this is the tack, this is the tack, this is the tack. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in other words, I'm awake, I'm awake. <laughs> and you can you're, you're maintaining speed throughout that uh, yes. throughout that journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I've but... I've done that, and I'm getting intimidated. I mean, you're you're on port tack. It's a minute to go, and suddenly you've got twenty J105s coming straight out. I even look back at Brian. I'm like, I'm so glad I'm not driving right now. <laughs> I'm like, this looks scary. It <laughs> we is. got the boat at Block Island. Everybody was so good. And I was like, I am terrified right now. And I'm not even driving. So you, you were telling me earlier that you um, you and Brian, you, you, you buy a boat, you, get on, you, you, you work your way to the fleet. And then you dump it and start again on um, on another boat. Is that just because you just enjoy that that learning process, the challenge, and the of going from back no, to? No, because it's because it's a toy and it's not a job. Um, if the bar gets too high, that every time you put the boat in the water, you're supposed to win. Get another toy. Yeah. yeah. Like if you want if you need to win every time you put your boat in the water, and you go on your boat you're going to be disappointed a lot. Yeah. Um, we are a lot of times underestimated here in the Chesapeake because we don't care about Wednesday nights. We just put the, take the toy out for fun and for learning and for playing. And like for frostbites at hangover bowl, Brian thought people were doing really dumb things. So he's like, I'm just going to let everybody else start. Oh. and We're going to hang back here. <laughs> we had a bad start on purpose. Who cares? It's frostbite. We're drinking. We're having fun. And then when we want to put the hammer down and we want to do really well, we make a plan and we do it. The velvet hammer. Yeah. And that's funny. It is. <laughs> but so, uh, yeah, we, we made a conscious decision when we got the J80 to make sure we took time to play with the toys, not always try and win with the toys. I think that's, that's a, that's a great philosophy. I, I did see you on the frostbite Um there was a race that got cancelled because of too much wind or lack of wind. I can't remember what it was. And so a few of us started to get on the radio and say, let's, let's, let's come on, let's have a practice race. You know, the, the ones who are probably the least experienced in the, in the fleet. Uh, um, we did quite well. <laughs> but in the pretend race. Um, but I did notice I could hear the laughter coming from your boat because you were just watching basically. Like, <laughs> I was thinking, are we doing something wrong? <laughs> 
here, but uh, but I love that I love that attitude of uh, of uh, why to, uh, why to do this. Um, hey, what about advice then for I mean the the the, the J one hundred five fleet fleet three is um, continues to add new members. I mean, I was a new uh, new member last year, uh, and there are probably four or five others who are also new. It's quite a it's uh, quite a healthy fleet in terms of uh, the boats and the standard competition and the fact it's turning over and, and growing. Yeah, it's great. Uh, what would be your best piece of advice for the, the four or five of us who have brought new boats to the fleet over the last couple of years? So learn your boat and travel. I really am a big proponent of traveling. I mean, I went to San Francisco with Doug Stryker and that's when we finally learned exactly what we needed to do with the boat to make it fast um, and realized that the boat, the boat just wasn't fast yet. And we thought it was, and we were wrong. Mm. Um, and then we went to block Island and finally put it all together and got third. Yeah. I knew you did that. That was some amazing it's results. Just yeah. Crazy. Um, but learn your boat. Like, don't just expect like a lot of people think like, Oh, I'm going to put the sails on or Scott Seal's going to come on and he's going to show me what to do. You have to learn your boat. You have to, every boat is different. Like you have to know what the rig needs. You have to know what the bottom needs. You have to know how much crap you need on it. You need to know how much crap to take off of it. You need to know where to put the crap. You know, you need to know, I want a radio on my boat. I am totally content with having extra weight. I want to put tunes on, on the way out. In fact, we, at North Americans this year, we started with our theme song of Hammer Time. <laughs> <laughs> of course. You know, um, you know, we, you just, you need to learn your boat. And there's so many nuances to each boat. Like I, I am the one who does everything on the boat in the sense that, well, that's not true. I do nothing. That's like manual labor, but <laughs> my husband does all that. But meaning pre-start, like. I get the lines out. I make sure we have the waters. I make sure uh, seacocks are right. I make sure the bilge pump is on. I set the prop. I make sure the winch handles are where they belong. My husband has a lucky hat. I make sure we swap out his hat. Um, (laughs) So just make sure your boat's ready. You know, I take everybody's cell phone and make sure that they make it into the nav station. So we're not on the windward mark. And somebody's like, oh, crap, my cell phone's in my pocket. Just really all the little things to make sure that when you're done, you're just racing. That's a bit of a theme of yours, it seems, that just get all the extra extra analysis out of the way so you know yeah. you've got the, the platform. I heard that from a, a couple of people as well. I, I heard from uh, uh, Carol Newman-Cronin, who talked about um, uh, planning a regatta months in advance, just oh, yeah. so that you have the peace of mind that every single thing you could have possibly have done is done, and that frees you up to uh, to race. That was a great bit of, uh, bit of input. Absolutely. And I have, we've been doing it so long now. I, uh, I have lists upon lists. I know what to bring. I know we always bring a dock box that the waters are at the dock. We're not carrying them every day. We, I mean, just everything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, can we go back to San Francisco? Um, because you talked about going from Chesapeake to San Francisco, um, where you, 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 you said, you hey, didn't think the boat was fast enough. Were, were San Francisco conditions very, very different? I was out there actually, Oh, yeah. uh, this year, and I, I watched uh, one of the regattas and saw the J one five fleet coming, you know, beating up into the wind and tide, and uh, that's very different from the Chesapeake in, in oh, both yeah. wind and tide, right? It was so much fun. So for so, Doug and I buy our boats about the same time. Doug and I have known each other for pushing twenty years. We've raced together on J eighties, um, just 
known him forever. We raced the J105 North Americans, both of us, here in Annapolis. And they put on that video of, like, San Francisco and how cool it's going to be. And Amy and I are drunk. And we're like, we have to go. And then it just stuck with us. that we're like, we're going to go. We're going to do this. And Brian and I bought, sold an investment property. You know, the market was really good. So we did the right thing with most of the money. And then we were like, we're just going to buy a J105 trailer. And we're taking that boat to San Francisco. So we bought the trailer. We had another friend who had a truck. He trucked it out. I mean, I, we probably had a team of like 20 people. And that's how we got this boat to San Francisco and raced it. Scott Steele came out to help coach us. Um, we combined two different teams, Doug's team and our team. Doug drove. Um, it was the best experience. We yeah. didn't do as well as we wanted to. We could have done a lot better. Um, but that was a huge learning curve. Like, like you talk about being tired. I will never tell you I am tired getting the jib in after getting the jib. I, I would physically run out of steam in the third race and Jesse McKnight would have to get the jib in for me because it was blowing 30 knots. And I'm like, I'm exhausted. This is the third race of the day. I don't even know if I'm physically strong enough at this point to get the stupid jib in. So I will never complain about getting the jib in in 15 minutes. <laughs> I mean, those, whole- those- San Francisco Bay Area crews are well used to that, aren't they? They're used to the conditions. They know what's coming. Um, that must have been quite quite the experience. And then when you went to uh, Block Island, w- did you take things from San Francisco uh, that you'd learned there to Block Island? Was it was it just simply very different conditions that, that worked? Completely you? different. Yeah. I I've yeah. done Block Island like a dozen times. Oh wow! Ten times, yeah. about. Um, so I took the knowledge of having done Block Island before. I knew exactly what I needed. Like I knew I needed to bring an ice maker because <laughs> you can't find ice on the island. <laughs> you know, you there, it's an island. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> um, so I, yeah, I knew what to do with that for that one as well. You just every, the more you travel, the more you know how to be prepared. So that when you really have no excuse when you're in your own backyard. Yeah. So obviously the, the putting together a team is, a, is the key part of this. You, you've, given lots of examples of how beautifully integrated your your team is how does you know tell us about that first of all you have to attract good sailors and you can't attract good sailors by just winning because you can't win without good sailors Hmm. so i actually find my team is another investment in my boat it's like my sales and what i mean by that is like i'll get them swag i get sweatshirts for everybody on the boat I buy koozies. I hand them out like they're candy if you're on my boat. People love swag and they feel appreciated and they'll come back. I also make sure to keep it fun. So like I'll do things like buy the more expensive beer. When we went to Block Island Race Week, I actually bought a pony keg from Forward. The guys loved it, you know. Um, So I I treat my crew like an extension of my boat that I need to invest in. Mm. And I make sure to do things that other boats might not do. So you want to come back to my boat. Yeah, it's, it's. I hadn't heard that. Well, I hadn't heard exactly that before. What What really strikes me is that, um, and it's my experience too, that this is just about leadership. Um, if you're a If you're a good leader of people, then the same principles apply whether you've got a team at work in than they they do to um, sales. You know, having the right people, giving them the opportunity to do what they want to do, what they want to do at their to their best extent. Yeah, and that's also not. Building a team also doesn't mean you're going to have the best sailors. 
you want the people in the best spots. So like, that's something I'm really proud of myself in is that I do everything on the boat. Like, um, I think this year I might be doing bow because of the team that we're putting together. I don't care. I like trimming. I've done it for a few years. It might be fun to not do anything because bow is pretty fun on a 105. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, there, I, I think it's picking people who are good at spots and who are good at the jobs and, Right now, I've got three bigger guys who we want to sail with, so I can't stick one of them on the bow. So I'll go on the bow. I can tell you, I'm famous for, and I love it, I am famous for every major regatta. Like, if you have taken off time, taken vacation from your family, you know, if you've done this to come to Block Island with me or to come to North Americans or something, I make a conceited effort, and my crew will tell you I do this, to thank you and show you that I'm appreciative. So I always have a swag bag for them. If it's a big event, we're going to get hats. We're going to get sweatshirts. We're going to get cool things um, for that event. I make a huge effort to make sure I get a really nice house that everybody gets their own room. So we have some space. In fact, um, they people make fun of me because recently I've been renting mansions. It's my vacation. Is that um, Newport mansions? We got one in uh, Rye, New York. Oh, yeah. It started in San Francisco. We got a mansion in San Francisco as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, if possible, I'll drag my powerboat up so that Scott can coach us. So recently our powerboat's been following everywhere with us. Scott or I will drag the powerboat. Brian will bring the sailboat. So, And he's part of the team. And he is invaluable. We were one point out of first at North Americans. He left. We had a bad day and we couldn't put it back together. And I think he was a big part of the reason we had a harder time putting it back together than we normally would have. Because he debriefs us, you know, he yeah, gives yeah. us lots of great advice. So I can attest to your, um, your, the welcome nature you have every J105 fleet event. You're always the first person to yeah. welcome people, make them feel at home. And uh, so yeah, I, I, I can, yeah, I can see how you would do that for your, for your crew as well. Um, okay, so that the the twenty twenty four race season's coming up. Is is there an event that you're particularly looking forward to? I am looking forward to going to we're gonna be going to the North Americans in Cleveland, Ohio. And yeah, I've never been to Cleveland before. Yeah. Other than that, we're really focused on the J twenty two this summer as well, because I won the bid for the J twenty two Worlds. So I'm actually running the J twenty two Worlds. <laughs> wow. So I won't be sailing them out of Eastport Yacht Club. Oh, marvelous! Yeah. So we're running. We're going to hold the Eastport, the, and we're doing it in conjunction with SSA. Um, and in partner with that, we are going to Southern Yacht Club, which I'm really excited about because we've never raced out of New Orleans. I'm not racing because mm-hmm. Brian's building the team, but I'm going down to be an ambassador to get everybody to register for the Worlds. Chrissy, it's wonderful to spend the last hour with you. Thank you so much. That was uh, a brilliant, uh, great content, basically, for uh, other sailors. Really, really useful. So thank you for spending the time with us. Thank you. It was fun. 